My sin debt is so vast that you could go to every bank across our country, pile all that money to the ceiling in this room, and it would never pay my sin debt. But the blood of Jesus, the most precious blood that's ever been shed, covers all my sin. My sin, not in part, but the whole, has been nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. It is well with my soul. Welcome to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. It is a joy to have you listening today, and we pray that you will be encouraged, challenged, and motivated to live for God like never before. And now, with today's message, here's Pastor John Couch. Father, we come before you as we think about your goodness and your mercy. Oh, Father, we pray that you would speak into our lives a word of encouragement, a word of refreshment, but a word of challenge, God. Oh, Father, I pray we never take this lightly. I pray each and every Sunday we, we anticipate gathering together with the family of believers. Oh, Father, we worship you right now. We give you the praise. We give you the glory. And we pray this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen. I want to encourage you to take your Bible and turn to 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 1. 1 Peter 1, 17 through 19 is our text. And the question that we want to ask each other and ask ourselves is simply, have I truly been ransomed? Now, that's our question today. Have I truly been ransomed? Uh, that one question, when you and I deal with that one question, and we understand deeply the answer to that question of if we have truly been rescued, if we've truly been ransomed, if we've truly been redeemed, it will clearly reveal to you and I what we do next. So many times I talk with people, I counsel with people, and they're asking, you know, what do I do next? Where do I go in life? I got this decision to make. Uh, I want to go here. I want to go there. Well, what do I do? Well, when you truly give your life to Christ and there is a union with Him, he will reveal the plans for your life, but there has to be a wholesale surrender to Him. I was thinking about that thought as I journeyed into First Peter this past week, and, and here's what Peter said by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in verse 17 of 1 Peter 1. He said this, and if you call on Him, very important, so there's a, there's a calling on, there's a pleading on Him as Father, so there's respect there who judges impartially, hmm, how? According to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Now look at verse 18 here in this ESV translation. Knowing, very key, there's a, there's a knowing, there's a confidence here that you were, here we go church, ransomed. Ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with a perishable thing such as silver or gold, 19, but here we go, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb. Oh, I love this. Like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. Let me read verse 19 again from this ESV. Here's the inheritance. Here is the ransoming. But with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. That's a hallelujah shouting time moment. Amen? What a glorious refreshment for you today. I don't know where you are in life. I don't know your struggles, your pain, your heartache. But I know this, church. I know this that in the midst of the battle of life, I know my Redeemer lives. Because I know this, there is strength 
in the midst of the struggle. There is strength in the midst of your battle. Whatever you're going through right now, God is greater. No matter what you're going through right now, the grace of God is deeper still. No matter what you're dealing with on your horizon today, the blood of Jesus has conquered the grave. That's just a hallelujah moment, isn't it? Because life's hard. Life's exhausting. Life's discouraging. But Jesus is greater. And in the midst of your struggle, we see so clearly here from these verses from last week in your Bible as you go up to verse 14, here's our springboard context to launch us in to our study today, verse 17, but look at 14 and following. As obedient children, do not be conformed. Do not fit into the mold to the lusts, to the passions, the unbridled desires of your former ignorance. But, verse 15, as He who called you is holy, you also be holy. He is holy. You be holy. How? In some of your conduct? No. In a good portion of your conduct? No. Most of the time in your conduct? No. In all your conduct. And then Peter just reemphasizes the importance of this. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. How many of you today, by a show of hands, believe that our God, the God of the Bible, is holy? Do you believe that today? I believe our God is holy. He is holy. He's undefiled. I don't care what Hollywood says or the political scene. I know this, that I serve the great God of the Bible, and He is perfect in all of His holiness. That right there should give you a great confidence today that as you trudge through life, and some days it's trudgery, isn't it? I mean, there's some days you're just like, I don't know how I can do this any longer. There's some days where I'm just so tied up in knots, I'm in despair, whatever is on the front of the headlines of your personal newspaper and we all got our junk and our worries and our fears and our frets and our anxieties and our insecurities. We all got it. As we look towards the ransom that happened at Calvary, it will begin to change everything in our lives as we see what He really did. Look at verse 17 as we unpack this together, just word by word, verse by verse. 1 Peter 1.17. And if you, so make this personal, call on Him, there's an addressing, if you will, with great respect as you call on Him as Father, who judges, He pronounces either right or wrong, impartially, He does it fairly, How? Here's the key. How? According to each one's deeds, each one's works. What do you do? Well, because of this, here's what we do. We conduct ourselves with fear. We conduct ourselves with fear. Very key here that the Bible describes this very, very deeply and without any reservation that we will be judged. For the true believer, you will be at the bema seat, and that's the line you want to be in. Amen? For the person who is not a true believer, and that would include the people that say they're in for Jesus, but they've never really given their life to Jesus, they will be in what's called the great white throne judgment line. And that's the line you don't want to be in. There's no do-overs. You don't get second chances in that line. It's too late. 
God will judge. Now, He will judge the Bema seat, not for our salvation, but from the salvation, and the judging will be for the reward. Very clear in Scripture. People go, well, obedience, it's, it's not important. Really? Have you read your Bible? A person who has truly been ransomed, as we're going to see today what that really means, there will be a desire from that ransoming to live a holy life and to live an obedient life. There will be that natural desire that says, I not only shout my Redeemer lives, but I shout with my life that my life is no longer my own, and I've given it to the Redeemer who does live. See, so often we see this over the years is that people love to hang on to the blessings of Jesus, but often they just don't really want Jesus. Because when you and I truly say we want Jesus, it's going to come at a price. There's going to be a cost in this life for standing for the truth of God's Word and saying, I'm not going to bend, I'm not going to buckle, I'm not going to break, but I'm going to live for Jesus. You've got to understand that the world hates Jesus. Because the prince of this world, the enemy himself, has the world under his sway. So there's going to be this judging that goes on, and as we unpack this verse number one, we've got to understand there's going to be a reality check. It's going to be according to our deeds, therefore, therefore, we need to, we should, we should longingly go, this is a privilege, we should conduct ourselves. It means this in the original, to behave. We should behave. Like what? With fear. Now, this is key. This is very, very key as we try to put the pieces of the puzzle together regarding what it means to be ransomed. The fear talked about here that Peter is alluding to is not a, I'm scared of the boogeyman fear. It's a holy awe and reverence fear. So everything that we talk about today regarding fear, I want you to mentally go, holy awe and reverence. Remember we talked about what biblical belief is? Remember, biblical belief is just not intellectual. Biblical belief is a committing oneself to through action. Here, we're talking about this conducting ourselves with fear. Not I'm frightened of the dark. No, it's a, God, you're just amazing. Like, I see you clearly for who you are and all your splendor and all your glory. God, you're it. You mean you actually saved me? A wretched sinner that I am, you saved me? Oh, God, I fear you. I, I worship you. I look at you as there is no other than the great God of the Bible. That's the fear that Peter is describing. So with our key number one, I want you to write this down. And this is very important. Key number one. How I behave how I conduct myself will be in direct proportion to how much I fear, holy awe and reverence God, period. Let me say this again. Write it down. How I behave will be in direct proportion to how much I fear God. In this verse here, verse 17, there's a phrase used after the word fear in this ESV translation. It says this, throughout the time of your exile. I know some people look at that and go, man, that doesn't apply to me. I'm glad I can skip over this verse. Not. That's not how this works. 
Peter's writing to a group of people who were persecuted. They're believers. They have been dispersed. Temptation when we're persecuted, going through struggles. A lot of times we don't press more into Jesus. A lot of times we're looking for anything but Jesus to dull the pain and fill the void. Amen? The temptations hit, don't they? That's when the enemy gets in. We're weak. The guard is down. And we go, okay, Jesus, man, you you left me hanging. i got to find something else to get me through the day. And here Peter says, throughout your exile, it actually means this when you look at that word in your Bible, it means to be a foreigner or a sojourner. So think about that, a foreigner, a sojourner in a strange land. This is where I think the disconnect happens. So many times we raise the hand, you know the drill, say the prayer, sign the card, do the cartwheel, get dunked, hocus pocus, we're in, right? The struggle with this is when we do this, we're not fully understanding what it means to be ransomed. Secondly, we think that somehow deductively in our minds that we can kind of have Jesus and, you know, eat your cake too, so to speak, right? When you think through this, for the true believer, you understand the biblical doctrine that we are in this world, but not of it. That our citizenship is not here. We don't long to be here. We long to be a a vessel. We long to be used. We long to be a disciple. While we're here on this earth to make a difference for His glory, but our citizenship, church, is not here. Our citizenship is with Jesus in heaven. Amen? So we are in exile for the true believer. We're a foreigner in a strange land. We're a sojourner. And our outflow of our behavior will be an outflow from our union with Christ as we fear God. I want to give you some verses that I pray will will undergird this thought, because we know the best commentary on Scripture is actually Scripture itself, amen? So let me give you several verses, get ready to write these down, that will show you what the fear of God is from Scripture. This is Scripture. I'm going to give you a bunch of Scripture to show you the richness as we drink deeply from the Word today. That I pray you will see this ransom, this fear of God, in the correct light that it should be viewed in. Here it is, Proverbs 9.10. Proverbs 9.10. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Proverbs 9.10, if you're looking for wisdom today, you know, I'm struggling at home, I'm struggling with my kids, I'm struggling at work, I need to make this big decision, do I move here, do I not move here? You know, do I move here? Do I not move there? Do I take this job? Do I not take this job? I need wisdom from the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The holy awe and reverence of God. The Bible says this, on this one I will look. He who is humble, contrite in spirit, and who trembles at my word. See, God looks on that person that walks in humility and says, God, I fear you. I fear you, God. You're just amazing. I can't even describe you. Your steadfast words, O God, are are greater than life. Therefore, my lips shall begin to praise your name. How about Ecclesiastes 12, 13? So I gave you two softball verses. Proverbs 9, 10. In Ecclesiastes 12, 13, here it is, the end of the matter, here it is, all has been heard. Fear God and keep His commandments, obey Him, for this is the whole duty of man. Did you catch that? Fear God, holy on reverence, obey Him. This is the conclusion of the whole matter. Solomon gets to the end going, look, I've went here and I've went there. I've done this and I've done that. I've boiled it down to two things. This is the conclusion. Fear God with all of your life, every fiber of your being. Be all in for Jesus and just say, oh, you're amazing. 
holy awe and reverence and majesty. And oh, from that outflow of fear, there's going to be a life that says, God, I want to obey you. I want to live for you. I want to make a difference. Psalm says it like this, Psalm 34, 7 through 9. What a great promise this is. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear Him. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who holy awe and reverence Him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is what, church? Is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. Oh, Fear the Lord, you His saints, for those who fear Him have no lack. Do you see, church, the importance all throughout Scripture of a holy awe and reverence of God? Not that He's somewhere down on the list as far as our priorities. He becomes the priority. He takes center stage in my life and your life and everything else revolves around that. The challenge in our culture today is we typically put everything else to center stage, and we got Jesus revolving around our will, our plans, our calendar, our schedule. That's not fearing Him with reverence. That's using Him. That's using Him to gain whatever we're looking for in life. Again, so often we desire His blessings, but do we really, truthfully desire Him? Like He's the air you breathe. There's nothing else. Is that where I am and you are? That I just want nothing else but you. That's all I want is you. And no matter what comes my way, persecution, the slander, the lies, we don't even care. We're just like, Jesus, I want to make a difference. That's a life that understands what it means to be ransomed. I know you're probably wondering, well, well, what else does the Bible say about this fear? Well, I'm glad you asked. Proverbs 28.14 says it like this. Proverbs 28.14, and this is a stern warning. This is the Bible. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord always. Blessed is the one who has holy on reverence for the Lord always, comma, but whoever hardens his heart, who's ever stiff-necked and rebellious and defiant and digs their heels in, will fall into calamity, will fall into destruction. How about 2 Corinthians 7.1? Write that one down. 2 Corinthians 7.1. Since we have these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from every, not some, but every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion. How? In the fear of God. Acts 9.31, probably one of the greatest church growth verses in all of Scripture. Here it is. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace. That's awesome. Amen. And was being built up. Praise the Lord. And walking, here it is, in the fear, the holy awe and reverence of the Lord, and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. You know, so often, whether it be a home, a business, a ball team, or church, we go, you know, why isn't God moving? Why isn't He stirring? People ask me that often in their personal lives. You know, why isn't God doing this? And why isn't He going here and doing that? And typically, I'll just say, hey, tell me about uh, when you gave your life to the Lord. Tell me about your fear of Him, your holy on reverence. And as the conversation goes silent and more silent we begin to pinpoint where the root issue is. See, God blesses obedience. God blesses those who fear Him. This is how this works. Go back to the Old Testament and the kids of Israel. You know, obey one day, disobey the next. 
On and on this thing went, back and forth, and God would bless, and they'd disobey, and they suffered greatly. See, the truly ransomed person realizes what they've been ransomed from and what they've been ransomed to. And when you begin to truly gravitate towards the depth of God's love that He gave His only Son, that whosoever not just intellectually raises a hand and says a prayer and does the cartwheel and signs the card, but whoever commits their life through action and follows through on that will not perish but have everlasting life. You're listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. All of Pastor Couch's messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. In addition, you can share your prayer requests with us via email. Our email address for prayer requests is prayer at thisdayministries.org. That's prayer at thisdayministries.org. And now, back to This Day in the Word with Pastor John Couch. You know, I think so often the church has struggled over the years all across our country. And one thing you quickly learn is that the world doesn't need more of the world. The world needs more of Jesus. Our job is not to become like the world to win the world. That won't happen. Our job is to live out Jesus. And as His name is high and lifted up, the Bible says that He will begin to draw men into Himself. And how do you lift them up high? Well, you fear. You live a life that, that proves through the works, not for the salvation, but from the salvation. There's now evidence in that life that says, I know they profess Christ And I actually see Christ in them, the hope of glory, as the Word of God dwells in them richly. It's powerful. But what does verse 18 say, looking at 18a of 1 Peter 1? Let's go deeper together. So here it is, knowing, there's a confidence, there's a perceiving and understanding It actually goes deeper, though, to turn your mind towards, to examine, and to behold. So in that one word, knowing, that's what you see there. I can understand it. I can perceive it. But I actually turn my mind towards it. I examine it, and I behold it. What are we beholding? Look at the Bible. Knowing, this is so good, knowing that you were ransomed. Let me read that again. That's so good. Let's let that sink in. Perceiving, understanding, turning your mind towards, examining, beholding that you were ransomed. Ransomed from what? Ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers. What does it mean to be ransomed? Maybe you've watched a movie or a show or a program where they take a hostage and they leave what's called a ransom note. And so what happens in the, the program that you're watching is that as they leave the note, typically they run down to the bank, they grab a, I don't know why it is, but it tends to be a duffel bag, always full of money. Why a duffel bag, I don't know. But. And they exchange the duffel bag of money for the hostage, and they have been ransomed. That is, in its simplistic form, the concept of being ransomed. So now take that in your own life. If you're here today and you're like, I'm all in for Jesus, I've really given my life to Him, you have been ransomed. You've been ransomed. You've been redeemed. You've been purchased back. You've been bought with the most precious blood that could ever be shed. 
and it's the blood of Jesus. Here, Peter says, look, I know you're in exile. I know you're going through hard times. I know life is difficult. Join the crowd. Welcome to planet earth. And in the midst of this, he's saying, look, don't look to your struggles. Look to the struggle breaker, whose name is Jesus. Look to Him and all that you do as you do what? Well, right there in that verse, it says at 18a, knowing, turning your mind towards, you're examining this ransoming, and when you examine the ransom for what it really is, here's what you do. You come out of it going, I'm going to behold this. Like, this is amazing. Why would I ever take this for granted? Why would I ever treat this with such lukewarmness? Why would I look at this with such contempt at times? How could I ever take this beholding, ransoming, and, well, if I get around to it? Peter's saying, no, dive deep. Get your scalpel out and go deep into the ransoming. Because if you're not careful, he says here, we will fall back into the futile ways, the worthless, useless ways that we learned and inherited from our forefathers. Literally this, passed down from one generation to the next. So key number two is real important. And here's what it is. Generational sin is real. However, I must never blame my personal indwelling sin on anyone else. I made these notes as I tried to explain this. And by the way, before I expound... I want to make this statement. If you're here today and you have been greatly sinned against uh, as a child, my heart breaks for you. My heart breaks for you. There is so much wickedness that goes on in this world that's demonic. And if that's you here today, I want you to know that my heart breaks for you. In the midst of all the things that happen against us in life, as people come against us for the cause of Christ, our response to the abuse, our response to the persecution is critical. I made these notes. I said we all have been sinned against, but we all have a personal responsibility as how we will respond. And by the way, we've all have done a fairly decent job of sinning against others. Oh, how easily we so forget this. That really stirred in my heart when I wrote that down because I realized that since pursuing sin is futile... It really is. That's the insanity of sin. It's a futile attempt to be in control, to find peace, to numb the pain of life. Oh, how will you and I help other people get set free? Unless we, yes, you and I, lovingly yet boldly, Give them the uncomfortable truth of God's Word. It's a tough balance. We have this glorious gospel of Jesus, and it will set the captives free. It will remove the scales of the blind. And yet so often as we have carried on generational sin, we are blinded and numbed to the reality of life. And just because we live in denial doesn't mean that that somehow negates reality. Just the contrary. See, pursuing obedience and holiness 
These are direct results and a direct byproduct of truly being ransomed. This is why we need a dire awareness of God's holiness and a dire self-awareness of our sinfulness. This is why we need a dire awareness of God's holiness and a dire self-awareness of my sinfulness. Our pursuit of personal holiness will be in direct proportion to how we view God's ransoming, how we view His holiness, and how we view His command to be holy. And the reality, as I see almost week in and week out, is many claim Christ, but they're living as though they're still a hostage to the enemy and that their ransom has never been paid. Oh, how my heart breaks and weeps that we'd walk in a way that just fears the Lord. Imagine what happened in in your home today. Just take your home, your little church that you live in, and there you are. Imagine if everyone in your home, as I'm thinking about my home with me at the top of the list, imagine if you and I began to wholly on fear and reverence the Lord like never before. Can you imagine? I mean, can you imagine what would happen? There would be revival in your home. And then guess what happens? You take all those little homes that have now experienced revival or in the process of revival, and you bring them together on a Sunday morning, and guess what happens? Mass revival breaks out. But it's all tethered to and backtracked to understanding a ransom. I want to give you two scriptures that will back this second point up about generational sin being real and us not blaming others, even though we do live in a culture where you, well, that's what's promoted, right? It's never my fault. It's always someone else's fault. Just blame everybody else. Well, here's what the book of James says about this. As we studied this months ago, James 1, 13 through 15, here's what the Word of God says. Listen closely. James 1, 13 through 15 Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. So it's pretty clear. Now here's verse 14. Listen closely. But each person, me, you, is tempted when he, me, you, is lured and enticed by his own desire. Me, you. Then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. No one can be blamed in my life for my sin. I may have had a hard life. I may have a hard life. I may have had a difficult upbringing. Those things could be true. But I'm responsible for my sin. I'm responsible to my sin in response to other people's sin against me. I'm responsible. And when we truly begin to understand our ransom, we will not look to sin against others. Oh no, oh, just the opposite. We'll be like, let me get this straight. You actually went down to the bank, Jesus, and took out the spiritual debt inheritance that you're going to go cover with your blood and your righteousness, and you're going to free me from my enslavement to the enemy of self and the bondage of darkness and sin and I'm somehow going to respond to that by going, I'm going to blame everyone else, and I'm going to sin against them because of what they did to me. That's someone who does not understand what it means to be ransomed. The forefathers, the passed on generational sin is real. But how about we be like Joshua? In Joshua 24, 14 through 15, 
hears his response as there he is. He is following Moses. He's following the, the Michael Jordan of the day. And here he is, and he's preaching what we call his Sermon on the Mount, so to speak. He's there at Shechem, and he's at the end of the book of Joshua, and he's just proclaiming the truth of the Holy Word of God. And he says this, Now therefore, to all the people, fear the Lord. Holy on reverence the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and in faithfulness and obedience. Now here we go. He's going to drill down deep with the spiritual scalpel. He says, put away the gods, the little g gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. There it is again. And if it is evil in your eyes, wow, to serve the Lord, choose this day. Like, choose today, choose now, drive a stake in the ground. Here's what you're going to choose. I love this. This is so rich. Whether the gods, there we are again, he repeats it another time, the little g gods your father served, the generational sin, the generational pull, the allure, served in the region beyond the river, or the little g gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. And then he goes, I'm throwing down I'm going to die on this hill. He says, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Oh, how we need droves of believers, men, women, and students, that starting right now, not this afternoon, not tomorrow, not next week, but starting right now say, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And no matter what it costs us, we're all in for Jesus. See, there's only two options in this life. You're either truly ransomed or you're not. You don't vacillate between the two. You're not in one day and out the next. For a truly saved life, it's a life that says, I see what you did. And that's why in verse 18b through 19, we see here as we wrap this up and go down the backside of this mountain, we see the glorious illustration of how deep and immeasurable this ransoming is. Look at 18b. Here's the ransom, not with perishable things such as gold and silver, but with the precious, with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. With the precious blood of Christ. The word precious means this, of great cost. You can understand this, that when, when Jesus you paid your debt. This wasn't like, you know, in the movies where they open the duffel bag and there's two quarters in there, right? My sin debt is so vast that you could go to every bank across our country, pile all that money to the ceiling in this room, and it would never pay my sin debt. But the blood of Jesus, the most precious blood that's ever been shed, covers all my sin. My sin, not in part, but the whole, has been nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, it is well with my soul. That's the precious blood of Jesus. It's not to be toyed around with. Don't play games with it. Don't take it and leave it. Not if you truly understand the ransom, the redeeming, the atonement, the sacrifice. That's why key number three is, is so important. Our last key, key number three. If I truly embrace the depth that God went to ransom me from my sin, 
this will propel me to live a life of total surrender to Him, all for the praise of His glory. Key number three, if I truly embrace the depth, the gravity, the weightiness that God went to ransom me, to pull me from the pit of my sin, this will propel me to live a life of total surrender to Him, all for the praise of His glory. Jesus Christ, the sinless Lamb, back in the Old Testament uh, sacrificial system, they would bring the lambs that we talked about earlier, and it was quite the bloodbath. There could be zero defect. Oh, church, I hope you understand this deep biblical doctrine that Jesus Christ, contrary to what the world may say, the movie industry may say, what anyone may say, He is and was forever the sinless, spotless Lamb with zero defect. And what a glorious reassurance that is, amen? Because only the sinless, spotless Lamb could take away my sin. So what does the Bible say about ransom? Let me give you these verses. Write these down. John 1.29. John 1.29. John the Baptist. The next day he saw Jesus coming towards him and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Do you see the beholding? Like when's the last time, truthfully, that you beheld Jesus? When's the last time you beheld your ransom? Oh, he's so amazing. How would you do something that for someone like me? You just begin to behold him in all his splendor and all his glory. John the Baptist, and it cost him dearly. Mark 10.45, Mark 10.45, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, here we go, and to give His life church as a ransom for many. Think about Galatians 3.13, diving even deeper into this ransom. Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us. He ransomed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. Colossians 1.21-23. Colossians 1.21-23. And you who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. He has now done what? He has reconciled. Did you catch this, church? You who were once, past tense, that's the old man, the old woman, all who give their life to Jesus, all things become new. You're a new creation in Him. You were once alienated. You were severed from Him. There was a wall of division. You were once alienated and hostile in your mind doing evil deeds. He has now done what? He's reconciled. He has bridged the gap. By the most precious blood of Jesus Christ, He's the greatest bridge there ever is and ever will be. It's me and my sinfulness, you and your sinfulness. Holy God over here, how do you reconcile the two? It's only through Jesus. As He ransoms that soul, that surrenders to Him. 22 of Colossians 1, he's reconciled in the body of the flesh by his death in order, here's the why, to present you holy, to present you blameless. Even though I've sinned and you've sinned, when we have been ransomed, we understand our ransom, we give our lives to him. Here's his response. This is amazing, isn't it? We sin against him. We do all this against him. And his response is, hey, if you just give me your sin, I'll give you my righteousness. We call it the great exchange. He imputes in the midst of my junk, in the midst of your junk, Jesus goes, give me your junk, and I want to give you my righteousness. 
And as that glorious spiritual exchange happens, it's so wonderful. It's so precious. It's something to behold. It's something to examine. It's something to hold on to. It's something to cling to. It's something to be renewed by. It's something to live for. It's something that will guide you through your life and get you through your day, give you a song in your heart and a skip in your step. Because we know our Redeemer lives, amen? But he goes on in Colossians as he presents us holy and blameless and above reproach before him, if indeed, here's the catch, if indeed you continue in the faith, stable, steadfast, not shifting from the hope, the hope, the confidence of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed to all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, become a minister. Wow. Don't you love the treasure trove of Scripture? Because Ephesians puts a a big red bow on this. When Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus about this ransom in 1 verse 7, in Him we have redemption. We have been ransomed through His blood. Which is what? The forgiveness of our trespasses, of our sins. How is this done? It's according to the riches of His grace. Aren't you glad that the richness of God's grace is rich? And by grace we've been saved, not by works, lest any man should boast, but we've been created, it goes on and says, for good works. The good works would be evidence of a truly saved, truly redeemed, truly ransomed life. So what do we do with all this? Well, we've got two questions to ask. And here they are, takeaway questions. Number one, have I truly been ransomed by the blood of Jesus? The worst thing you can do today is leave here either knowing you haven't been or not sure if you have been. It's the worst thing you can do. There is nothing greater in this life. I don't care what job promotion's waiting for you, who you're looking to marry, where you're going to move, what you want to drive, whatever's on your radar right now. There is nothing greater than giving your life totally to Jesus. There's nothing greater. And that's why secondly, is there a joyful desire in my life to walk in personal holiness and personal obedience to God as an outflow of my true union to Christ? Takeaway question number two, is there a joyful desire in my life? Do you have that in your life? Is there a joyful desire to walk? To walk in personal holiness, personal obedience to God as an outflow of my true union to Christ? Or is the reality when it comes to personal holiness and personal obedience, it's kind of like, yeah, that's kind of a waste of time. That's not a person who understands what it means to be ransomed. A truly ransomed person will see so clearly who God is, and they will see so clearly who they used to be, that all they'll do is say, Jesus, I'm all in. Use me all for the fame of your name, to make much of you all the days of my life. That will be the ransom person. You know, it was once said that who is in more danger? The persecuted or the spiritually comfortable? I was thinking on that this past week. And it's pretty obvious. For the one who's being persecuted because their life has been surrendered to Christ, the only danger they're going to face is for a finite point in time on this earth. But for the person who's spiritually comfortable and they've never really given their life to Jesus, 
the danger they're in will go on for eternity. As the Holy Spirit is moving in your life right now, have you truly been ransomed? And if not, does that bother you? It's okay to be bothered. It's actually a good sign. But the real question is, what will you do next? Because what you do next is what ultimately matters for all of eternity. The action step I want to challenge you with today is simply this. I will choose today to really be all in for Jesus. I will choose today to really be all in for Jesus. Parents, grandparents, I'm telling all of us, I'm speaking to myself, but our kids are going to mimic what we do. What we don't take seriously, typically they don't either. But I've seen some dads over my years of men's ministry that just declare, as for me and my house, we're serving the Lord. I've seen some single moms as for me and my house. And I've watched God bless and bring favor. I've watched Him do this. He can do it in your life today, but, but you've got to be all in. And it's not real difficult to be all in when we know what we've truly been ransomed from and what we've truly been ransomed to. Are you all in today? I pray that you are. Let's pray together now. Father, we come before you in this moment. Father, I pray that as we've mined the Scriptures together, oh, Father, I pray you would stir. Father, it's so easy for us to get caught in the weeds of life. Lord, it's so easy. We can just put a fresh coat of paint on our lives and somehow talk ourselves into that things have changed. But living in denial will never change reality. And fathers, I've learned over the years, it's really hard to reach someone who's living in denial. So Holy Spirit, we pray. We pray for those in this room that have never truly given their life to you. God, I pray today will be the day. Simply just not sing, but proclaim with a life of obedience, I surrender all. Father, whatever you want to do in this time, this is your time, not ours. Well, we act like we own this time, but every breath we have is from you. So forgive us, Lord. Lord, as we humble ourselves before you, as we fear you with a holy awe and reverence. Oh God, I pray. Help us to understand that revival doesn't typically happen to programs and buildings and events. It happens to people. A life that wants to begin to obey. A life that wants to begin to walk in holiness. Oh, Father, will you stir in this time? Don't allow the enemy to have any foothold. But I pray right now that we'll just simply do whatever you want us to do as the altar's open. To you be the praise. To you be the glory. And we pray this in the mighty and the matchless name of King Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. You've been listening to This Day in the Word, the radio teaching ministry of This Day Ministries. Don't forget that all of these messages are archived and are free to download at thisdayministries.org. That's thisdayministries.org. In addition, if you have been blessed by the teaching of God's Word during This Day in the Word, we would love to hear from you. 
Our email address is info at thisdayministries.org. Thanks again for listening as we strive to honor Christ and impact our world as we spend this day in the Word.